You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. Fantrax Dynasty Baseball is here to help you crush your dynasty leagues. Covering everything from rookie ball to the major leagues, hosts Nathan Dockin, Van Lee, and Ron Rigney have you covered. And now, let's talk some baseball. All right, let's talk some baseball. This is episode 145 of Fantrax Dynasty Baseball, powered by Fantrax. I'm your host, Nathan Duck, and on today's show, we're going to be recapping day one and uh, kind of, I guess, the entire draft in general, the 2020 MLB draft. It's going to be a hoot and a holler. And joining me for this occasion, live from his patio in sunny Florida, Ron Rigney. What's up, Ron? It's not sunny right now. It's nighttime, Nate. Oh, well, maybe for you it is. It's it's bright for like another two hours here. That's true. Yeah, you're you're halfway across the globe. So, yeah. I'm sad that I'm not able to see you guys because my computer decided to be a wang and not work correctly. Uh, but excited to talk some draft. I mean, we have something something baseball related, I guess, at least for this week. Who knows what happens beyond this, but fired up to talk about some draft picks. Oh, come on. There's been all kinds of uh, baseball news out there. None of it positive whatsoever. None of it optimistic. There has been yes. news. Yeah. yeah. So uh, also on the southern tip of the country is Van Lee. What's up, Van? Uh, Hooten and Hollerin is a local <laughs> event. You said Hooten and Hollerin earlier. It's a local event here where hillbillies get together and vote on the brightest hillbilly or whatever it is. But it's a real thing <laughs> that goes on where I'm at. Brightest hillbilly. Is, can we can we throw in some carrying on as well? Carrying on, Hooten Hollerin, carrying yeah. on, yeah. doing what's what. Yeah. Well, I'll leave that to you guys. We certainly don't do any of that here up in the icy north, where, by the way, it is almost 100 degrees today with 50-mile-an-hour wind gusts. Stupidest weather of all time. But uh, anyway, joining us uh, from the northeast tip, the erect penis of the nation, uh, is up there in Maine. It's Mr. Aircross. going to be the star of the show tonight. He's tweeting out, like, all of the picks. Well done on that, Mr. Cross. Uh, thank you. That was a that was a fun night, and uh, I've never had Maine described as the erect penis of the country. So that's that's a new one. But <laughs> and then I mean, down there in Florida, obviously, it's the reverse of that. It's just the the floppy wang of the country. Yeah, it it kinda, is just kind of hangs there. Dude, yeah. The erectile dysfunction, yeah. hanging the out. flaccid chub of America. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yes, indeed. But that I, is I, not I, how. There, there's some days I do definitely feel like a flaccid chub, so that's very accurate. <laughs> very well, accurate. that's not how I would describe the 2020 MLB draft. It was a pretty good time. Very strange draft. Obviously, only five rounds this year. Um, so we're gonna kind. Of, we're only gonna really recap uh, day one, and then what we're gonna do after that. Uh, we're gonna look at the early picks a little bit more under the microscope, and then a little bit more of a macro view as we continue on in the first round and the sandwich round. And then we're going to kind of give some overview picks uh, at the end of the podcast. You know, some of our favorite drafts, some of our least favorite drafts, winners, losers, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but uh, how would you describe the draft? Is it a floppy wing? I don't think so. But you can tweet us at Fantrax Dynasty. I'm at Nathan Dockin. Ben is at Manly Van Lee. Ron is at The Real Ma Day. And Eric is at Aircross04 on the Twitter. And if you don't have Twitter, you want to shoot us an email, got any feedback for us, whatever it is, you can always shoot us an email to nastytrackspods at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please drop us five stars on iTunes. Helps us a lot. Uh, makes us uh, all warm and fuzzy inside as well. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com slash nastypod. And as little as a dollar per month, it really helps us out in these trying times. You also get access to our entire back catalog, 
of bonus podcasts as well as access to our Slack channel. You can talk to us all the time. It is always fun in the Slack channel. Um, you can also check out fun clips of the show on YouTube and go to fantraxhq.com to find our written content as well as links to many other podcasts on the Fantrax Podcast Network. Eric, what have you, you got uh, pumping out here on the Fantrax HQ these days? Uh, a lot of draft kits or MLB draft stuff. Uh, put out my kind of review team by team of the AL last week. We finishing up my NL one, which should be out uh, the day this podcast comes out. And then we'll be really hammering down in my top 100 uh, first year player draft rankings, which hopefully early next week, Monday, Tuesday is where I'm aiming for those. So it's a lot of draft stuff, which because there's really nothing else going on. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously a lot of that is very dynasty slanted. So check out Fantrax HQ to keep tabs on all that very fine stuff from Mr. Eric Cross there. Um, I've actually started working on a little football content. I'm going to do my AFC North division preview. That'll be coming up on the website probably as soon as you can listen to this. So, uh, you know, hopefully we get a baseball season and I can get back to writing about that a little bit more. But in the meantime, might as well preview some football. Um, so with that, I think we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll come back on the other side and discuss the early picks of the 2020 MLB draft. Barbara Streisand. Welcome back to Fantrax Dynasty Baseball, and we are going to crush this uh, day one recap of the 2020 MLB draft. And we're going to start off right at the top with Spencer Torkelson. Uh, no surprise there. He goes to the Detroit Tigers. Ron, why don't you tell us a little bit about what makes him the number one overall pick? Yeah, definitely set himself apart a from the rest of this class as far as being the first overall pick. So, what you got here is you've got a six foot one, 220 pound, 20 year old college first baseman. And we'll get to that position stuff here in a little bit, which is kind of the more most intriguing part of this whole uh, pick announcement as him going first off the board. Because I don't think anybody really questioned who was going to be the first pick, but I dug into him a little bit, looked at his college, college stats, college record a little bit. Tells you a little bit about the guy when he broke Barry Bonds, Arizona State freshman home run record. Didn't get drafted out of high school. And if you go uh, look up some of these guys and you look, a, a lot of them got drafted late, late round and, you know, before out of high school. He was not one of those. And so that speaks a little bit, I think, to his ability to figure out what it is that he needs to improve on and greatly improve upon it. And that's kind of what he did heading into college there. 54 homers and 127 career games. Like all, all these guys in the draft, and even a few of them that we'll talk about later on, some of them had no high school season whatsoever or college season whatsoever. Some of these guys had a very, very limited college season for various obvious reasons, whether it be with the whole COVID thing going on or whether it be injury-related. But nonetheless, still have a little bit of, of a body of work here to look at with Spencer Torkelson, and he was on the radar even before this this season began. When I kind of look at him, immediately I thought of Andrew Vaughn. The hit tool grades out 60, 65 grade power, first baseman. Saw some comparisons from different scouts. I have a couple that compared him to Pete Alonzo. I saw one in there to Chris Bryant. I think fantasy-wise, he's more Chris Bryant than he is Pete Alonzo because I feel like the hit tool and the average is going to be a little bit more solid than Pete Alonzo, and I don't know necessarily if the power is going to be quite where Pete Alonzo is, but I think he kind of lands in that in-between there. 
with the pop. The thing about him with Detroit, whether or not he plays first, they actually announced him as a as a third baseman, which I thought was kind of intriguing because he's. I read that he's taken some some ground balls there. He's practiced there. I don't know if he's necessarily played there in a game at Arizona State. I know he's played in the outfield there. So it it they were very confident. I actually saw heard. I think it was on MLB, MLB uh, radio. They talked to. Al Avila and Al Avila is a GM of the Tigers. He's very confident that they can teach him how to play third base. We know the bat's going to make his way to the lineup. So I think that's going to obviously buy him some time if he does have a little bit of a, a struggle with the, with learning third base. However, when you look at the depth chart for the Tigers, whether he's six at third or whether he goes to first, there's not really a whole lot standing in his way. So he's going to progress, I think, pretty quickly once we end up having uh, minor league baseball and end up having major league baseball. But with their system, they can't afford to not bring him up pretty quickly. Nice compliment to a lot of those, the, the Casey Mises and the Tariq Scooballs of the world, the guys that, you know, they have all these arms that we talked about in the preview. They needed to add some bats. They definitely did that with the best one that they could have gotten. 337 career hitter. But yet again, question mark is, is he going to stick at first? Is he going to stick at third? Either way. Fantasy-wise, this is the guy that's going to be first off the board in your drafts. This is the guy that's going to progress quickly. This is the guy that has a shot at playing time very, very quickly. And obviously, you know, when you've got a guy that's struck out 104 times to 110 times that he's walked, that speaks volumes about what his approach is at the plate. Yeah, I think I'm going to be pretty dubious that he remains a third baseman uh, in the long term and by the time that he's up with the Tigers. But um, you know, they can, they can always dream. They can say what they want. I'm going to go ahead and be a little pessimistic there, at least on the defense. Um, so Spencer, Spencer Torkelson, obviously going number one there. Number two was a bit of a surprise here. The Orioles go with Heston Kierstead. And so Eric, I'm going to send it over to you to talk about him, but I also would like to know, uh, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but, um, uh, kind of want to know where some of these guys are slotting into your, uh, overall prospect ranks. If you have any of that done yet, uh, where would you slot in Spencer Torkelson? Uh, yeah, Torkelson is borderline top 10 for me. I love Torkelson. I think he might actually have double plus raw power, above average hit tool. Um, I, I like. I think there's a bigger power gap to Vaughn than there is a uh, hit tool advantage for Vaughn. So I think I'd give him a slight, very slight, like maybe he's like two or three spots ahead. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just outside my top 10 right now. Um, and then you know, a lot of the guys, I think I have like 15 to 20 ish off the top of my head that are in my top 100 overall. Um, I really like the top of this draft. All right, cool. So um, we had the Orioles going kind of off book here with uh, Heston Kirstead. So what did you make about this pick? Yeah. So for the most part, I think like 90 plus percent of mock drafts had kind of like locked in on obviously Torque was number one that was, was not going to change. And then most of them had, Austin Martin, two to Baltimore here, and then Asa Lacey, three to Miami. And then, obviously, Baltimore passed on Martin to go under slot here with Kierstad, and then the rest of the top five just kind of, like, went berserk uh, with Max Meyer going three. But, you know, this is – well, Kierstad is a – he's a very good prospect in general. He probably would have gone on talent alone right in the middle of the first round, I think. Um, one of the best power bats in this class, a very strong left-handed um, – swing very strong frame uh easy pull power uh, get, get some nice loft on that swing as well the hit tool is yeah some i've seen some put it at 50 some put it at like 45 i'm more in the 45 range right now but i think he can be at least an average hit tool in time um but you know 
I don't think there, there's not a lot of speed. So it's like, he's going to have to hit for power to make this, you know, pick work. You know, I think he could be a 30 to 35 home run bat. Maybe he hits in the vicinity of 260. Uh, approach could use a little bit of work too. He walked uh, close to, uh, I mean, struck out close to two and a half times more than he walked uh, in his uh, 150 games in Arkansas. But um, the power is legit. He had 37 home runs in those 150 games, including six in the you know shortened 16 games that he was able to play in 2020 before the season came to an end. Um, but this is, you know, this is a very good power bat, but that power is going to have to be robust for him to, you know, make an impact in fantasy and also to, you know, make Baltimore fans not hate this pick. I remember right after the pick, like Alex fast, you know, he texted me. He's like, he was just like uh, about to set the world on fire. He's like, what are we doing? Um, so I know Baltimore fans probably aren't, you know, happy that they passed on Austin Martin or even like an Asa Lacey or, or something like that. But, you know, this is potentially a, you know, guy that hits maybe clean up. I see him more of like a number five guy um, in the order that kind of stretches the lineup and adds a little bit more power, you know, after the, you know, three, four guys come through. So, um, very, very good prospect, but um, he's not, you know, this is kind of a surprise, like you said, at number two overall. Right. Uh, and, you know, spoiler alert, I wasn't crazy about what they did after that either to kind of, you know, make up for reaching a little yeah. bit on number two there going under slot. Um, so I don't know necessarily that that plan really came together for them. Um, but in any case, we can move on to the third overall pick here, of course, was Max Meyer. A lot of people thought, you know, they're, They've got plenty of young pitching. Maybe they go with a hitter. You know, Austin Martin's still sitting out there. Even Nick Gonzalez, maybe Zach Bean. But no, they didn't even go with the uh, the number one pitcher on a lot of people's boards. Ace Lacey instead they went with Max Meyer, right-hander out of Minnesota. Uh, kind of up in my neck of the woods. Minnesota, uh, and really impressive pair of uh, pitches to begin with, which, I mean, obviously you expect from the third overall pick in the draft. But everything starts out with a double-plus slider with Meyer, uh, which is very hard, gets up into the 90s and just – absolutely falls off the table. Also a double plus fastball that sits in the upper nineties that can touch a hundred miles an hour. And both pitches are arguably the best fastball and slider in the entire draft class. Um, but the reason, you know, a lot of people like Asa Lacey over Meyer is because of some of the knocks on Meyer, which, you know, there are a few, first of all, the third pitch change up distant third offering right now. So the repertoire is definitely not as deep as you would get with a guy like Lacey. Uh, and secondly, he is listed at just six foot, 185 pounds. So not exactly the type of frame you want from a front-end starter who you like to get a ton of innings from. And he already worked out of relief for part of his time at Minnesota and still hasn't racked up a ton of innings. So, you know, there is very much some reliever risk here, but still that ceiling is huge if he can stay healthy. And if that third pitch comes along, um, either way, he's going to be drafted very early on in rookie drafts. Uh, But number four, Van, we'll kick it to you here. The Royals did end up going with Ace Lacy. So, what's the report on him? Yeah, Lacy, of course, was largely regarded as the best pitcher in this draft. So, it's interesting to see him slip two fourth, if we can call that a slip for what that's worth. Uh, six foot four inch, 250 pound lefty out of Texas AM, which, by the way, I looked that up. I was like, Texas Arts, and I don't know what the M stands for. It's, uh, I've already forgotten. Uh, it was like agriculture and agriculture, mechanical. Yeah, mechanical. But, Texas A&M stands for nothing. That means nothing. But when it was formed in like 1860 or something or other, it was called the College of Agriculture and Mechanics in Texas. And then it became Texas A&M. And now there's the A&M stands for nothing. So it's just a college. I thought that was fascinating and weird. But whatever, Texas, you're messed up. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Asa Lacey, on the other hand, 
Uh, four pitch mix includes the fastball about 92 to 94. He can touch 97. Sometimes I've seen 98, uh, but you know, guns are weird. Anyway, he throws hard. He's got a plus change, plus curve, and a slider, which he used to strike out right-handed hitters with a lot of regularity in his last season there in college. He has a nice, simple delivery. I actually really like his delivery, which surprised me a little bit. A lot of those top left-hand starters at this age, I kind of go, eh, that delivery is wonky. They need to adjust. Nope. I thought it was – I thought that's a nice, consistent delivery. Um I think he'll be able to morph into some consistency because of that delivery and because of his relief point at some point. But right now, the big knock on him is, of course, his inability to have command control. He walked, uh, I think, over four per nine his final year there in college, which is too much. And it's because of that that uh, I'm, I'm a little wary of Lacey. I like Lacey. But I just don't know that I see true top of the rotation ace potential here. Like we often see, like when Strasburg was drafted, everyone's like, oh, that guy's going to be an ace. I just don't see that. I see a very, very good pitcher. Uh, if everything does pan out, I could see maybe like Patrick Corbin style stuff to compare him to another lefty. Excellent stuff across the board, but maybe just not quite that, you know, number one, that pitcher stuff that we're kind of looking out. The command issues, his fastball isn't truly elite. It's just very, very good as of right now. Uh, kind of limit that upside a bit. So I think the good news that will come out of this is that he can work on all these things. So there's plenty of time for him to become that potential ace. But as it stands right now, I think he's merely going to be a very, very, very good pitcher. I think upside again, it's like your Patrick Corbin type downside. And this is where you'll find out. I actually like Lacey. I think downside, he's like a Robbie Ray type, a guy who's going to be a very good pitcher, but just struggles with command, strikes a bunch of batters out. So I foresee a very nice path for him. And I like him a lot, but it's just how I feel about a lot of young pitchers when they're 20, 21, 22 and raw. It's just, uh, it's hard to see the peak potential. And right now, I don't know that the peak potential is as high as a lot of people think with him, in my opinion. But I do still think he's a very, very good pitcher. So I'll, I'll need to see him pitch for a little bit. Who knows when that's going to be, maybe next year. And then yeah, kind of formulate a plan as to whether or not I think he's really going to to really fix those command issues. I did watch some video today and actually reminded me a little bit of CJ Wilson in uh, in his delivery, although the release point is a little bit different. But overall, nice little pickup here. And I think the Royals actually did some really good things in this draft, starting with Lacey. Yeah, he uh, piles on to an already nice, uh, really strong crop of minor league pitchers there for the Royals. So we'll be afraid of that in a couple of years as a Twins fan. But right now, yeah, like a really high floor player. They're going to ruin it. They ruin, yeah. The Royals ruin everything. Just <laughs> they'll, wait. Find, they'll find a way. Their offense is uh, you know, not looking great anyway. So. Um, so anyway, let's move on to number five here, Ron. The Jays potentially got a steal here with Austin Martin. Yeah, according to everybody that makes makes these types of lists, you know, Eric mentioned it earlier, it was kind of projected by pretty much everybody that Austin Martin was going to be the second pick off the board, but we see him slip to number five. And, you know, when you think about Toronto, it's kind of a case of the rich getting richer as far as these young players. So you, you go with Austin Martin at number five, shortstop out of Vanderbilt, yet again, another guy that was announced at a position that he hasn't really played a whole heck of a lot, 6'1", 185, 21 years old. Main calling card on him is going to be the hit tool. 65 grade hit tool, best pure hitter in the draft. Not a ton of power here, but that's not necessarily his calling card anyway. I think he's going to give you some sneaky power just because he is such a good hitter. But he slots in in this, you know, the the Vlad Juniors and the, the Bichettes and the Kevin Vigios of the world. It's going to be interesting to see where they end up putting him. 
because all of the you know middle infield to corner infield spots that he could possibly play are kind of jammed up by some pretty solid talent there. So it kind of stands to reason that he's going to move back to the outfield, which is perfectly fine for Toronto. They're going to get that bat in the lineup. And they're not going to really need to rely on him for for a ton of offensive production. I think, you know, he slots in there really nicely with the rest of those pieces. And, you know, it's one of these things where, like I said, the power is only 50 grade. He's not he's going to give you a few steals. He's not going to give you a ton. But he's going to the, the hitting eye is off the charts as far as just the plate discipline, as far as him being able to, you know, pick his spots and wait on a pitch to hit. That's the things that he does well. In in my research, I saw a couple of comparisons to Ben Zobris as far as maybe not so much on the offensive side, but he seems to be pretty versatile. And then a lot of the scouts believe that he's a good enough athlete that you could put him pretty much anywhere and he would succeed. So that's yet another thing that, you know, Toronto wants to put him in any of the three outfield spots or they want to move him to second or shortstop one day. I saw a couple of scouts believe that he might slot in there at second eventually. So doesn't really matter where he plays. He's kind of like I mentioned with Torkelson, that bat's going to put him in the lineup no matter what. They're going to find a place to get the offense in there. Yet again, a college bat, 21 years old. So once again, when we kind of resume things, another guy that you can kind of figure to uh, kind of fast track that way into the majors. And you can't help but think also, too, of Dansby Swanson as well, another Vanderbilt shortstop to win ultra high a few years ago. Yeah, if I was a Jays fan, I mean, I'd be pretty happy right now. You got mm-hmm. a really stout-looking young core of offensive players to look forward to watching for a very long time. Um, so, Eric, we'll go back to you here for our pick number six. Uh, wound up being Emerson Hancock, who's thought to be, you know, previously maybe he was going to be the number one pitcher off the board, but he slipped to number six here. Um, what do you think? Is that a pretty good get for the Mariners? Oh, that's a great get. He's my favorite pitcher in this draft class. And, you know, I, I like Asa Lacey. I like Max Meyer. I really like another guy. We'll talk. I'll talk about in a little bit here, but yeah, I think Hancock has the highest ceiling in this class. I think he has the most diverse and you know, arsenal in this class. You know, he starts off you know mid nineties fastball can get up to ninety eight, ninety nine. Strong arms had life on that. You know, the combination of velocity, movement, and his command on the pitch makes it easily plus, maybe even a bit higher than that. Um, best sec- best uh, breaking pitch. He throws both a slider and a curve. Both are pretty good. Slider's better. Uh, sharp two-plane break in the uh, mid-80s. Really hard late movement. Um, that's easily a plus pitch. And then that's not even his best secondary in general. Like the changeup, which is arguably one of the best cha- best like two to three changeups in the draft. Um, plenty of velocity separation. Plenty of depth and fade. Uh, that's a borderline 70-grade offering. Now, right now, he's kind of a little bit uh, control over command. Um and that the command was kind of the reason why, like, you know, people say that he didn't have a good season, you know, his, his command was a little off. He got hit a little harder than he had in previous years, but you know, for what it's worth, he lowered his walk rate and increased his strikeout rate for the second straight season. I'll bet, you know, that's in four starts. You can't really take much from four starts, um, but he wasn't as bad as some people kind of let on, but you know, it did cause him to slide a little bit. Um, like you mentioned, Nate, he was you know, in the running for number one overall uh, when the uh, 2020 NCAA season started. Um, but yeah, this is a great get here for Seattle. Um, him and Logan Gilbert, that's a really good duo there long-term. Uh, could be a nice one-two duo down the road. Uh, I I love Hancock. He's my favorite pitcher from this draft. You know, if I was looking to take, you know, a pitcher, you know, in the 6-10 to 10 range of, you know, first-year player drafts for fantasy, I would go look at Hancock's way first, you know, for his, you know, 
four pitch arsenal, three that have plus or better potential. You know, that like I said, borderline 70 grade changeup. So this is just an ace in the making. You know, he's got, he's got a really clean delivery too, repeats it well, can pound the strike zone. Um, 6'4, 215, really strong frame. Um, a lot of stuff to like here. Um, and even though he did slide a little bit, like I said, this is, I think, going to be the best pitcher in this draft long term and someone I think is going to be a ace for a long time. I was just pretty surprised that they actually let him join the draft considering he has all those superpowers and he's an alcoholic and fell in love with Charlie's Theron. But I guess <laughs> they're totally fine with the Mariners getting a superhero. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where you're. I was going with I think that Emerson Hancock sounds a lot like. Uh, a, a studious British chap, like he pitches with a monocle and a top hat somehow. That's pretty Emerson good. Too. Hancock. I, like I almost went with uh, Emerson Hancock and Palmer and make it like that old, like 60s fusion rock band that that had like 45 minute songs that were just noise scapes. But uh, it turns out instead I went with Hancock, the Will Smith uh, vehicle from the late 2000s. <laughs> you need to be on more substances, Van. You would have gone the other way there. <laughs> Uh, so I got it. I have a massive jar of Tylenol. Does that help? I don't know where this <laughs> came from. It just showed up on my desk. <laughs> sure. Mid podcast. <laughs> if we hear that rattle again, we'll know what's going on. <laughs> uh, so moving on to number seven in this draft, the Pirates took Nick Gonzalez, right-handed bat out of New Mexico State, and he has one of the best pure hit tools in the entire draft class. He's a a Dawkins-sized fellow at 5'10", 190 pounds, uh, hits from the right side, and uh, he'll. Almost certainly wind up as a second baseman, although I believe he was announced as a shortstop. Uh, but he'll probably move over to the Keystone there. He raked at New Mexico State, but that was a very, very uh, hitter-friendly conditions. But then he also performed very well at the Cape Cod League, won the MVP honors there thanks to his bat. So uh, definitely confident in his bat here. And he's a little bit more of a hit-overpower second base prospect right now. But um, he does have above-average raw. He's got really, uh, really strong bat speed. Uh, as opposed to just being like super muscly or anything. So I think league average power is uh, a potential down the line, but also hitting in PNC isn't going to do him any favors. And, you know, he's right out of the gate. He's likely to be a little bit more of a line drive hitter early in his career. So uh, does have a but above average speed, but was not very aggressive uh, stealing bases in college. So there is a shot at five categories here if he decides to steal a little bit more, but he sure looks a heck of a lot like a future number two hitter to me who's going to get on base a ton and uh, should be a top five pick in most rookie drafts. Uh, so let's kick it back to Van here with the number eight pick. The Padres went with Robert Hassel. The Huff. I feel like we should start calling him that, seeing if <laughs> it sticks. Done. Uh, done. Yeah, I knew you'd be on board with that one. Uh, Robert Hassel, he was eighth pick, as you said, to the Padres. He's consistently described with a term. I wrote this. I wrote this earlier, and I'm going to go ahead and read it as I wrote it. Although okay. both you and Eric have used this phrase, which you both know, I'm sure, as one of my favorite phrases in the history of fantasy baseball. Robert Hassel has constantly been described with the my favorite term, the best pure high school pure hitter. <laughs> and everyone knows how I feel about the term pro hitter. That's when people don't have power or skills and they're like, oh, he can just, he, he hits well. He have a batting average. He's a pure hitter. I hate that expression. But anyway, I use it too. So that's I right. We, that's when we it. dubbed you the pure podcaster of the That's podcast. right. I remember that. That was fairly recent. Yeah. So going back to Hassel, the Huff, 
He's an 18-year-old kid. He came out of Independence High School in Tennessee. He actually has a commitment to Vanderbilt, and uh, I haven't seen any news as to whether or not he's co- continued to com- stay with that commitment or sign with the Padres. I think considering he's he's eight, I think considering he's eighth overall, and there's a pretty sizable uh, dollar sign attached to that pick. I believe he'll end up signing with the Padres. You don't see you know top end picks like that not sign unless they're like Kyler Murray. And it's because they're going to different sports or whatever it may be. So we'll see. But he does still have a commitment to Vanderbilt. If he does sign, uh, he represents a pretty decent outfield option who hopes to grow into some power to go along with that smooth swing and solid athleticism. He is a center fielder right now. However, nothing in the profile tells me that he's really going to stick in center field. I mean, I guess he could. He could be that Jock Peterson type of center fielder that's just kind of there and fills in. Nothing special. But I foresee him being a corner guy eventually. Uh, he has a smooth enough swing and good enough eye at the plate. He could quickly ascend the lower levels of the minors. Problem is that a lot of scouts don't think his power will translate to the majors. So there might be more of an empty average bat if it doesn't pan out. I'm thinking that the most logical outcome here is that he becomes like an Alex Verdugo type, a guy who doesn't have a ton of power but can grow into it or displays a little bit of it. Although uh, Hassel doesn't have quite that speed, so I wouldn't count on even Alex Verdugo's speed levels. But... If he does fill out, because he's very young, he could grow into some power and become a, a really nice all-around player. But as of right now, I think he's mostly just going to be a pretty good pure hitter. And uh, couldn't have said it better myself, the pure podcaster, Benley. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and take a break here, and uh, we'll come back on the other side and uh, discuss the rest of the day one picks. All right, welcome to Fantrax Dynasty Baseball, and uh, I know this is going to break your heart, Mr. Cross. I know you want to talk about Zach Veen getting drafted by the Rockies. I saw. I mean, oh, you're I just will. okay. <laughs> All over that on Twitter. I had to put a warning out there so you could get a Zach needs a um, uh, what is it called? Uh, um, yeah, what did you say? What, what's the stay away order like? <laughs> Uh, the legal document keeping you away. Uh, the name eludes me right now. Oh, restraining order. Yeah. There we go. One of us knew it eventually. Yeah. I mean, I, j- I don't know it for a reason. I just <laughs> never mind. Go ahead. Sure. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's Ron's turn to speak right now. So uh, we're going to break these picks down a little bit more of a macro view. So, Ron, if you could cover picks nine through fourteen here, we would be eternally grateful. Yeah, we'll speed it up here. We'll give you the Cliff's Notes version, 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 version. Oh, virgin, virgin. They virgin? might be virgins. Whoa, this show just got be. great. They, <laughs> now we know why Ron has a restraining order. Throw it in, or do you? So, in addition to Rocky's at number nine, taking Zach Veen off the board, just mentioned him. And in, in addition to all the fun things you can rhyme his name with, six four hundred ninety pound high school outfielder, beautiful lefty swing. Check some film out on him if you have not. 60 grade hitter, 55 grade power, and much like Eric Cross, uh, I guess if you could jump for joy on Twitter, I think he did that. He did his happy dance, and I agree with him. That offensive game in core is definitely something to get excited about as far as fantasy. Uh, number 10, Angels to, Vans Angels took Reed Detmers off the board, lefty out of Louisville, 6'2", six two, six two lefty. Nice uh, floor, figures to be kind of a mid-rotation, innings-eater type guy. I think there's a little bit of potential there for a little bit more. It gets compared to uh, current Ray, former teammate, at the University of Louisville, 
Brendan McKay, mid-90s fastball, effective curve and sliders, decent control. So nice little rotation piece there for them. A college arm that figures to kind of rise fairly quickly. At number 11, the White Sox take a guy off the board. It's a little bit of a head-scratcher here. 6'6 lefty out of Tennessee, Garrett Crochet. Some of the best stuff in the draft. A couple scouts said he has the best lefty stuff in the draft. Fastball that sits in the high 90s, can hit 100 on it. A, a mid-80s slider. Change up the gets close to 90. But the problem is with him, he pitched out of the bullpen at Tennessee, had some injury issues, and ended up making one start in his final season there, and that was the only start he ended up making. So Sox plan on trying to develop him as a starter, but I think it's a nice consolation prize with him if he doesn't. Nice little weapon out of the back end of the pen there. Uh, number 12, Reds take Austin Hendrick, another high school uh, bat off the board. 60-grade power, that's kind of his name of the game. Every every scouting report you read about him, it's bat speed, bat speed, bat speed. And I think there's a little bit of more. He's only 19, so he's not a guy that we're going to see, I don't think, ultra quickly. But once he gets up there, if he can kind of get the hit tool on par with the power and the bat speed, I think that's really going to benefit him at Great American Ballpark. So that's a nice pick by the Reds there. 13 is a little bit of a head-scratcher for me just because it uh, – Kind of goes against my one of my favorite minor league man crushes, and that's the Giants selecting Patrick Bailey, catcher out of NC State. And when you kind of read about Patrick Bailey's game, this just to me seems like a very Giants pick. It's kind of what they do. Defensive first catcher, called his own games in college, a lot of scouts like that. Potential for a little bit of pop here. Question is how good is the hit tool going to be? Currently sits at a 45. Some of the theories out there were, you know, if Joey Bart is out there, aside from my love for him, he, you know, he's a top prospect in their system. He's a top prospect on everybody's list. Why would they take another catcher if they have him sitting there? One of the theories was maybe they kind of see down the line in a year or two the universal DH becoming a thing, and maybe that way they'll be able to use that to their advantage and have that bat in there. Would Joey Bart be moving positions? I don't know. Would they want to just rotate him out? You know, have one have a catcher known for hit the offense and then have one to rotate in for the defense. Who knows? Not a whole lot to get excited for from a fantasy standpoint. Like I said, there's a potential for a little bit of pop there, so could be useful down the line. And lastly, at 14, Rangers, Rangers take uh, second baseman out of Mississippi State, Justin Foscue. Run producer from the position, kind of like I mentioned with Spencer Torkelson, a kid that really improved from his freshman year at Mississippi State on up to his final year there. 50-grade hit, 50-grade power. No, doesn't do anything excellently, but I think does a lot of things very well. He's good enough defensively there. He can stick at second base. I think he can end up being an improvement over uh, show favorite Rognet Odor. Uh, as far as I think he's got a lot of potential to post higher average, higher OBP there. You know how our guy Rognet doesn't like to take a walk. Um, made, like I said, made huge improvements after his freshman year. So I think there's a little bit of potential here to be kind of one of those late round middle infield uh, spot fillers that can give you decent average and maybe give you double-digit home runs and double-digit steals down the line. A little bit of a head-scratcher of a pick there, but I think it fits what they want to do fine. Yeah, interesting group there. And I think arguably even a more interesting group here, actually even later here at 15 to 20. Eric, why don't you go ahead and break that down for us? Yeah, I love this this group of picks here. Um, Starting off at 15 with... One of my favorite pitch, my probably my second favorite pitcher in this entire draft. I love Micah Bell. I you know I put out a couple of tweets. I think he might wind up as the best arm from this draft. I think he has that potential. Um, he's a high school arm out of Oregon, six five with a ton of physical projection. Now, already shows a plus fastball, 
and flashing, you know, two secondaries, slider and changeup that are above average to plus. I think with, if he adds some more bulk, and adds a little bit of velo to that fastball, which is already a very good pitch. I think he could be a 70-grade fastball with those two really good secondaries. And he's developing a curveball, too, which which projects to be at least average. So a really nice four-pitch mix. Pretty solid command and control for his age as well. Um, so Mick Bell is a great get for the Phillies there. Has a chance to form a really nice one-two with Aaron Nola down the road, you know, four or five years out. But I uh, love Mick Bell. At 16, the Cubs went hometown with Ed Howard, shortstop from Mount Carmel High School, um, right there in the Chicago area. Uh, I think that's the same high school Alec Thomas went to, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, right-handed batter, plenty of bat speed. Um, and this is a chance to just be a really good all-around player. It's a very good defender, strong arm, definitely can remain at shortstop long-term if that's what the Cubs decide they want to do with him. Good feel for hitting um, with a smooth swing. And plus speed as well. Uh, power is the only thing here that I'm really questioning. Um, doesn't incorporate his lower half much. Uh, it's a lot of upper body. And also the swing is pretty linear, so we need that some loft there. I think full potential for power probably peaks at 50 grade. That might be a little generous. But, you know, this could be like a 280, 15 home run, 25 steel tip down the road. That plays good defense as well. Just really has a chance to impact the game on both sides of the ball. And then at 17, um, my Red Sox uh, disappointed <laughs> me, disappointed my buddy Ralph Lifshitz of Prospects Live. Um, we Red Sox really needed to make an impact here. The farm system, as everyone knows, is not great. Uh, could have went with some of these outfielders that I'll talk about in a second here. Plenty of good arms on the – a ton of good arms on the board. But they went Nick York, a second baseman out of Archbishop Mitty High School in California. How do you really um, feel, though, Eric? <laughs> I mean, okay, in general, Nick York is a solid prospect. Like, he's a very good hitter. You know, some scouts that saw him said he had one of the best hit tools on the West Coast for a prep bat. You know, he's got modest power and speed, kind of like in that 15-15 range. You know, but this would have been a good, like, really good third-round pick, okay second-round pick, you know. And, the, you know, this was definitely a cost-effective pick here. And then kind of like Baltimore, I wasn't overly you know, enthralled with how the Red Sox went later in, in the draft. Yeah, they got Blaze Jordan in the third round, but he's kind of a project. So not a great pick overall. But, you know, in my rankings for first-year player, I think he'll probably slot in like the 60s or summers like that just because the hit tool and a little bit of pop out of his speed. Um, so, yeah, decent little player, but not at set pick 17. Um, very, very good first pick in the, in the high and bloom era here in Boston. Um, right after him. Uh, Diamondbacks at 18 added Bryce Jarvis, righty out of Duke. It's another quality arm in this Arizona system. They already have a ton of pitchers. Luis Frias, Blake Walston, J.B. Bukowskis, and the list goes on and on. And Jarvis adds another one. And they add another one we'll talk about later on in the Chikani in the uh, comp round. Um, he was more – Jarvis was more of a reliever to start his collegiate career before and he kind of slowly transitioned more and more into the rotation as you know, his time – that Duke went on, and that was that was definitely the right choice, I think. Now, this is a guy that's a really nice four-pitch arsenal. All four project to be at least average, um, with at least probably three of them being 55 or 60-grade offerings, flashing that. Um, he was really dominant in 2020 uh, in four starts when he allowed two earned runs in 27 innings, walking two, striking out 40. That kind of cemented his status as a first-rounder. Um, still not totally sold on his control, uh, he was above, you know, walk rate above four in his first two years at Duke and on the Cape in 2018. Um, that kind of 
dropped way down, like I said, two walks in 27 innings. So still not totally sold on the control, but, you know, this could be a, a nice number three starter that can miss plenty of bats. And then at 19, a guy who I was hoping the Red Sox would take, um, Pete Crow Armstrong, um, outfielder at a Harvard Westlake High School in California. You know, this is, you know, not, this is not going to ease the sting of, of the Mets losing Kalenic, but I do think he's kind of a Kalenic light at the plate. Uh, similar speed, both have plus speed, him and Kalenic. Um, but I think the hit tool and the power, power especially, uh, is a notch below, but still he's a, above average contact skills, very good defender in center field, definitely can say that long term. Pretty solid arm as well. Some projection left in this frame, but not a ton. Power max here is maybe scraping 50, but I don't think that might be a little generous. Um, but this is a guy that could hit like 280, 290, very good average. Add in, you know, double-digit home runs, maybe fit in the 15 range. Add in, you know, 25 or so steals. Very nice all-around player here. Um, borderline top 10 for, for fantasy purposes. And then at 20, uh, one of my favorite players in this draft, Garrett Mitchell. Uh, to the Brewers, and this is instantly the best prospect in their system by a country mile, uh, probably by 150 slots or more in my overall rankings. Uh, the gap is massive. Um, yeah, I'm all in on Garrett Mitchell. Um, just looking at tools, this on tools alone, this would be like a top five player. Um, pretty solid defender in center field, strong arm, borderline double plus speed um, at the plate, great feel for the barrel from the left side, can spray line drives all over the field. Um, I think, I think he led the nation, I believe, in extra base hits last year. He had 14 doubles, 12 triples, and six home runs. Um, but there's the thing. The, the power, which he showed off at plus or better raw power in batting practice, but it hasn't been able to translate um, into games consistently yet. I say only had six home runs in 2019, only two the year before that. Um, so that's going to be an issue here. How much power is he going to you know, translate into games? The swing is pretty quick, but there's some mechanical issues to iron out. Uh, his hands and lower half aren't really in sync. Weight transfer isn't really smooth, especially through his hips. So, uh, and he can get on his front leg a bit early, which suppresses power right there. So, if those, he doesn't need a swing overhaul, but if he can make those mechanical adjustments, you know, unlock more of that power, you know, this guy's, you know, above average, maybe even a plus hit, but at least above average. If he can get more of that power, and there's that speed. He's going to be an offensive monster um, that can also play a really good center field as well. So that was a great pick by the Brewers at 20. Yeah, I was pretty surprised that he got that far. Um, so, yeah, a very solid landing spot in terms of his fantasy value as well. So everybody wins there. Um, so I'm going to handle picks 21 to, through 25. Maybe not quite as interesting a group, but um, still a couple that stood out to me, not necessarily – uh, starting off with one, though, with Jordan Walker, who went to the Cardinals with the 21st pick, prep third baseman out of Georgia. Not really the type of guy the Cardinals usually draft. He's like already a huge guy listed at 6'5", 220. And as that frame would indicate, massive raw power. But as you often get with that type of player, a uh, ton of swing and miss uh, with Walker's profile. So kind of a high upside, low floor fantasy player. Probably going to have to shift to right field or first base in the long run rather than sticking at third base. 22nd was Cade Cavalli going to the Nationals. And this one made me curse out loud because uh, you only had to fall a little bit farther to get to my Twins at 27. But it's a very Nationals pick here, so I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, you know, kind of unlike what I just said about the uh, the Cardinals pick with Jordan Walker here. But Cade Cavalli, big kid, six foot four, 226 pounds, uh, right-handed pitcher out of Oklahoma. Features features a uh, big mid nineties fastball can touch ninety eight with that. 
effective slider and changeup as well. So that's a great starting point for him. But he's also dealt with a rash of injuries in the past, and he's also shown some control issues. So the Nats will have to iron out some of the kinks uh, to help him with that control. But if he can stay healthy, there's uh, probably number two upside here with Cade Cavalli. Number three or 23 overall uh, was Carson Tucker to the uh, to the Indians, who has a very fun Spoonerism name in uh, Cucker Tarlson. I mean, that'd be that'd be really fun. Uh, maybe not quite, but anyway, uh, younger brother of Cole Tucker of the Pirates. Um, he's also a uh, Carson Tucker, also a solid defender, shortstop. Shouldn't have any issues sticking at the position. Um, you know, tinkered with his swing a little bit this offseason to hit for more power and with above average speed as well. He could actually give us kind of low end five categories here with an above average hit tool. Uh, 24th overall, we move on to Ron Ron's Rays here. They picked up Nick Bitsko, right-handed pitcher who reclassified in order to be a part of this year's class and is only celebrating his 18th birthday this very day on the 16th as we record this. So happy birthday, Nick Bitsko. Um, congrats on being able to buy cigarettes in like three years. Uh, big kid, uh, listed as 6'4", 225 pounds. Uh, big fastball that sits mid-90s, can touch 99. Uh, true plus pitch for him. Uh, he's also got two breaking balls and a curve and a slider that could be plus with some work from the Rays. So a uh, ton of risk here, as always, with a prep righty, but the upside is a frontline starter if everything comes together. And then number 25 was Jared Schuster to the Braves, and I love me a lefty. And he's a big one, too, a six foot three, 210 pounds. He's got a low 90s fastball, a contest 97, uh, thanks to some improvements in the Cape Cod League that helped his control tick up a little bit as well. So uh, he's also got a plus changeup to give him a really strong foundation there from the left side. But his breaking ball does need to improve, kind of re- reminiscent of Chris Paddock in, in that regard in some ways. But uh, so that's picks uh, 21 through 25 there. So Van, let's go to you here for picks 26 through 29. Yeah, and you said your group was a little less exciting. Well, guess what? My group is comprised of 50% catchers. <laughs> so if that tells you how this group's going to be. Yeah, right off the bat, at pick number 26, we have Tyler Soderstrom with uh, Oakland. He is, again, a catching prospect, but he's one whose best tool is his bat. He is not a catching prospect because he's an elite defender. He's a catching prospect because at some point he liked being a catcher. No one likes that. It's the worst. So whatever. He chose to do it. If Oakland does decide to keep him behind the dish, I think you just forget about him because it's going to be years before you see anything. You don't even know how the bat's going to play up because he's not really going to be able to focus on hitting. It's strictly about being a defensive catcher. Uh, If, on the other hand, they decide to move him around a little bit, I think it will be worth keeping an eye on him because it would allow him to focus on hitting, which he's pretty good at, and perhaps reach relevance sooner. So this is all going to depend solely on what Oakland does. If they plug him behind the dish and say, okay, let's be the best catcher you can be, it may be eight years before we see him. It's it's crazy, some of the turnaround times on catchers. So I would uh, add a note of caution to that just because of the position he plays. At pick number 27, Aaron Sabato went to your twins, Nate. He is a bat-first prospect with tons of power potential and scouts, even though he's very young, obviously he was just drafted already are like, well, he's a terrible defender. He doesn't even have a spot to play. So if that tells you anything about his skill set, if it works, boy, he's going to be a, a big, big power bat. So you need to watch and see how he develops throughout the minors. And if he can continue putting bat to ball, then he'll be in decent shape. If he doesn't, then, you know, he has, he just has to hit because he doesn't really run either so not a lot of uh room for error with this guy 
Austin Wells went to the Yankees at pick 28. Another catcher. He's a left-handed power hitting catcher. And literally everything I just said about Soderstrom applies here. He's uh, more of a bat first kind of guy. So it just depends on what the Yankees decide to do with him. I mean, immediately if the Yankees draft a bat first catcher, they're like, well, here's our next um, boy. I've been out of baseball for so long. Gary Sanchez. Here's our next Gary Sanchez. <laughs> I don't know that he's going to be that good of a hitter, but we'll see. But again, he has played a little bit of outfield and he's not a good defensive catcher. So it just depends on what they do with his development. And then finally at pick 29, Bobby Miller went to the Dodgers. He's a big righty, hard fastball, has a plus slider, and a changeup that exists. So if that tells you how it's uh, been graded. Mechanics are a bit wonky here, so he's probably a reliever. But there is a chance, of course, that he irons it out over time and sticks as a starter with uh, certainly major league coaching or or minor league versions of major league coaching. There's not a whole lot of a track record here either. He's mostly kind of worked out as a reliever, but he's pitched a little bit as a starter. Like it was 200 and something innings over four years or something like that. So we don't quite know how he's going to hold up under a workload. I like his stuff. I liked, uh, I like his delivery, even though it's weird. So there is a chance that he becomes something useful. Most likely you're looking at a reliever here. So it just depends what the Dodgers do with him. So not an exciting group of players, but, uh, but a reasonably okay one to fill out because if it does pan out for these guys, you could have some really good players on your hands. Yeah, we'll get to more to my uh, my thoughts on the Twins draft after we uh, shoot it to Eric here for the competitive balance round. Um, but just, I mean, seeing Sabato's picture that they slapped up on MLB Network or ESPN or wherever you watch, like he just looked like a, a mid-30s middle manager at some corporation. It did not inspire a lot of confidence in his He looks like a softball player. He looks like one yeah. of those guys that goes to the yeah. softball field, and if he doesn't hit a home run, he doesn't even bother, like, hobbling <laughs> first base. He's just like, this freaking game, Ugh, I can't believe it. And it's like, come on, dude. I think he likes Heineken, just looking at him. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, Mr. Cross will kick it to you to cover the entire competitive balance around here, the sandwich round, as I like to call it. Picks 30 through 37. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of intrigue here for fantasy purposes. I'll- kind of a lot of those better in real life than fantasy prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting at number 30, because um, Houston Astros didn't have a pick in the first round because they were naughty. Those were only 29 <laughs> picks in the first round. Um, Baltimore. Out of Mississippi State. Uh, formed one of the better double play duos in the nation with Jordan Foscue at Mississippi State. Um, potential for above average uh, speed and power here. But questions surround how much average they'll ultimately hit for. Um, but that net power and speed could lead to some 2020 type seasons. I think he can stick it short. And so there's a nice like solid upside pick in the middle, you know, middle rounds of your first year player drafts. At 31, I'm gonna butcher this name. Carmen Machinsky, I think. I'm I probably butchered that. M-L-O-D-Z-I-N-S-K-I. I heard them say it on the draft too, and I already forgot how to say it. Um, but this this pick kind of fits the pirates mold to a T and the Pirates have a lot of like those like kind of boring safe prospects and Machinsky you know this is where I'm going with Machinsky um, kind of fits that mold uh, kind of a mid rotation upside um, isn't flashy at all but he can eat innings really um, solid frame um, fastball slider change up all flash above average um, at least so um, I think he can, he can settle in as a nice little number three starter for them down the road uh, could be one of the faster movers in the draft as well uh, 32. This is definitely one of the better real life 
pick uh, players and then fantasy players here. Uh, Nick Lofton went to the Royals, shortstop out of Baylor, uh, defensive first shortstop, well below average power, uh, speed and hit tool, maybe your average. Um, could be like a 270, 10 home run, 15 steal type, but I don't see you know a lot more potential above that. Um, so not really a desirable target in first-year player drafts. Uh, 33 Diamondbacks added another nice arm here in Slade, uh, Slade Sakani, a righty out of the University of Miami, uh, previously picked by Baltimore back in 2018 in the 38th round out of high school. Um, nice upside here, but you know, there's some kinks in the armor. Really good fastball slider combination, really like that. Um, change up, I think it can be average. There's some questions, I've seen some below average grades on it. Um, but I think it can be average. Control is pretty solid. Um, so I think this could be a really nice, another, you know, kind of mid rotation, number three, number four starter, really strong, uh, six foot four frames. I think he'd be a nice innings eater, um, long-term, uh, it's another arm for that system. 34, Justin Lang, uh, went to the Padres, right-handed pitcher out of Lano high school in Texas, uh, big ready, six, four, two twenty, electric fastball, borderline plus slider. Change up, control, command, all kind of a work in progress. I think there might be some reaper list there, but uh, let's see how the Padres handle him moving forward. At 35, Drew Romo, a catcher, went to the Rockies out of uh, the Woodlands High School in Texas. Uh, Defensive first catcher. You know, that's the the three words we all love to hear in fantasy. Defensive first catcher. Um, But and he he is a tool to stand up defensively, but he's, he's far from a black hole offensively um, I didn't think there is a little bit of offensive upside here um, maybe you know 50 hit 45 power somewhere in that range you know hits like 260 250 260 in that range 10 10 12 maybe 15 home runs you know of course who knows um, so you could get a bump there but um, we'll, see, we'll see how he develops offensively with a stick but that defense can definitely get him up to the major leagues you know in time let say he's just a high schooler so he's several with the Rockies he's probably like 12 years away um Tanner Burns, 36 pick, right-hander out of Auburn, went to the Indians. Uh, who, who, okay, they had a sneaky good draft, the Indians here. Um, plus fastball slider mix. Change-ups around average, at least a serviceable third offering. Uh, his smaller size, he's like six foot 205, and his, he has some shoulder issues too. Those kind of create a smidgen of reliever risk here. Um, but this, you know, this is a great landing spot in the Indian system. I think he could be like a back-end number three, high-end number four starter in time. Like I said, you know, this is a great rounding spot. So um, you got to feel good about that. And then ending the comp round here, 37, Alika Williams, shortstop out of Arizona State, teammate with Spencer Torkelson. He's another defensive first shortstop with uninspiring offensive skills. Uh, potential for maybe, you know, 45 to 50 hit, you know, at least keep the average respectable. Uh, he's got to get a good feel for the barrel, but, um, doesn't impact the ball much at all. I don't see him ever getting past, you know, like the 10 home run range. Um, slightly above average speed, I guess. So maybe he can you know, get in like that 15 to 20 steal range. But, you know, this is definitely a better real life you know, prospect than fantasy. The Rays like to, you know, accumulating all. They have a ton of middle infielders in their system. Um, gives them a lot of options here, what they want to do. Um Especially with you know what they want to do with like Wander Franco, they want to move from the you know third, second, whatever. Um, but it's another another shortstop for that system. But again, not early one. Maybe you, you kind of take a flyer at him at the late end of 
first year player drafts, but this is not really a big, you know, offensive upside pick here. Yeah, not the most inspiring group there in the sandwich round. Um, but that is going to wrap up the uh, the day one picks there. So let's move on to some more winners and losers. But first, let's talk about uh, how we liked our own personal favorite teams uh, drafts for 2020. So, Ron, let's kick it out to you first, then Van, then Eric. Uh, we've already talked about two of their the Rays picks. Ron, what do you think about their draft as a whole? Yeah, I mean, overall, it's just it's essentially what they always try to do. And, uh, you know, Eric touched on one of the guys, and Nate, you talked about one as well. You know, adding a couple of prep right-handers, they don't have a rush, as we talk about, for them to get pitchers up to the major league level anytime soon. So they're one of the few clubs that has the luxury to get these high upside guys and hopefully be able to develop them. And we know most of the time they're pretty good at doing that. You talked about Nick Bitsko, kid that's turns 18 today, hitting 98-99 on the gun in the first round. That's a solid pick there. Uh, you know, Eric, you talked about Alika Williams a little bit. You know, you you mentioned uh, uninspiring offensive skills. I say raise up cross because I like those uninspiring offensive skills, and I'll gladly take them as a middle infielder on my uh, in my, in the minors for the Rays. And that's what they do too. They they accumulate these guys that play defense, and you know, hopefully save some runs. I have to say, my favorite thing that they did was probably in the third round getting. Two sport guy Hunter Barnhart, who was a kid that fo- played football and baseball, decided to focus on baseball. Probably could have molded himself into a, f- a potential first rounder if he had gone to college. They get him in the third round. Guy that's r- a little bit raw, has the tools, has has the stuff there. You know, is a, is a kid that now he's finally kind of focusing on baseball. If anybody can can bring him along, I think the Rays can do it. So I definitely like what they did. If it's right in line with what they always try to do get some high upside arms, get some defensive first guys. It'd be nice for them to maybe take a, a power bat every once in a while, but, you know, we do have Jimmy and Choi to look forward to, so that's something, I guess. <laughs> As for the Angels, look, I like their uh, decision-making the last several years of going after huge impact guys with flaws, you know, or flaws is the wrong word, that need seasoning, that need to be – uh, do a little bit of work. Joe Adele was kind of the exception of that in that he just started hitting right away. But this year, right off the bat, for the first pick, and I get it, 10th overall, Reed Detmers was selected. And I just, the ceiling's so low for me with Reed Detmers. He could be a, a very fine pitcher, but he doesn't throw hard. More of a, a command kind of guy. He's advanced, so he can make it to the majors fairly quickly. I get that. I think that's useful, and I think the Angels could have used that. But I just feel like uh, they were doing so good with taking the athletic young kids who could potentially be uh, very, very good that this was a bit of a surprise. So it's fine. It's not the worst pick in the world. I think if Detmers does turn into Mark Burley, which I keep seeing comes for, that's great. But how many Mark Burley potential players turn into Mark Burley? Not very many. He's going to walk a very razor thin line and become potentially a good pitcher, but also could become one of those guys that just puts up 180 innings every year with a four, five, four, six ERA that just kind of eats up innings. We'll see. In the third, they ended up taking uh, David Calabrese. They missed their second-round pick because they signed um, Anthony Radone. Took David Calabrese in the third. He's considered one of the best, if not the best, defensive center fielder in the draft. Not much power right now. Maybe he'll grow into that. I guess that's more in line with kind of what they've done, but not very toolsy. So we'll see about him. 
And then we had Werner Blakely taken in the fourth, pretty athletic shortstop. Adam Seminaris in the fifth. He's a big lefty out of Long Beach State, kind of uh, another low ceiling kind of pitcher. Blakely needs a lot of work because he's very young. Seminaris has that low ceiling, but he's 22 and he shouldn't take too long to reach the show. So it's fine. It just wasn't a very exciting draft for the Angels. I think they did okay based on what the team needs, the major league team needs, but it was certainly not an exciting draft for Angels fans as compared to the last several years where Jordan Adams, for example, was taken, who's a really exciting player. Of course, Joe Adele, you know, some big names, but it's a far cry from four years ago when they take Hate Conger as the number one pick or Jeff Mathis even farther back than that. And it just uh, wasn't exciting at all. So we'll, we'll see. I think it's okay overall. Yeah, so I would kill for the Angels draft. That tells you how uh, how the Red Sox draft went. Um, I already talked about um, Nick York, who I thought was more of like a second or third round pick. Then we did not have a second round pick, and so went to the third round here. Um, it went they went buzzy in the third round though with uh, Blaze Williams at pick eighty seven. Now everyone should know if you follow prospects at all, you should know Blaze Jordan's name. Obviously, it's an 80-grade name, you know, Blaze with a Z, um, putting up, you know, huge power since he was like 15 on YouTube or whatever the social media platform was when that video of him cranking bombs at 15 first came out. And he was kind of put on that national spotlight. But outside of that immense power, he's, he's a work in progress. You know, hit tool and approach, you know, a ton of work, you know, defensive profile. You think he's announced as a third baseman. I don't, I don't see that happening. I think this is more like a first base DH type of profile. He's not good defensively at third from what I've seen and other other uh, reports I've seen from other scouts. Um, so like I said, first base DH profile, so he's going to have to hit. I think the power will definitely fit there. But like I said, who knows how much average he'll hit for. So this would be, I think, a guy that takes a little bit longer to develop. We're not going to see him for a while. Um, but this also could be another, you know, like a Will Benson or, you know, someone like that, that, kind of just flails out at, you know, in single A or something like that because he can't hit above like 210 or something. So a uh, wide range of outcomes here. Or he could be a nice like number five, number six hitter that just hits a ton of bombs. So we'll see. Um, I'm kind of, kind of to be determined for Blaze Jordan. And then the round out the draft, the um, Sox went with a pair of collegiate lefties. Fourth round, Jeremy Wu Yelland, Wu hyphen Yelland uh, out of Hawaii, 6'2", 210 lefty. Not very low ceiling, not a lot of intrigue there. Maybe back-end starter, maybe he's a swing man. Uh, I just don't see a lot of upside there. Then pick 148 in the fifth round, so like one of the last 10 to 15 picks or so. They got Shane Drowen, uh 6'3", lefty out of Florida State. And I actually kind of like this pick, and I was talking with Ralph Lifshitz about it after it happened, where we kind of said that we both – that Drowen pick was the only pick we really, really liked um, for, for the Red Sox in this draft. Um, he's only really been focusing on pitching for a few years now, solely on pitching for a few years now. Um, got some projection left. You know, it can be three average to above average pitches. Upside, you know, it's, it's not super high, so don't get me wrong there. I'm not saying, like, I love this guy. He's going to be a number two, but could be like a number four type of guy, kind of solidifies a rotation, eats innings. Um, and it's going to be an in that kind of, if he hits the ground running, you know, whenever the heck the minor league season starts in 2021 or whatever the hell so it'd be this could be a guy that could really you know impresses and rises up prospect rankings but like i said probably number four starter profile here um but and he's back in guide so i think it was a, that was a good pick for them good value pick late in the draft but you know 
if you asked me for a grade for this Red Sox draft, D plus. <laughs> I might be generous. I just don't like it it's a lot. It's like underslot a lot in the first project in the third, unintriguing in the fourth, and then, and then kind of nice in the fifth. So yeah, not a great draft. I'd, I'd kill for for Vance Angels draft. Yeah, I was. Uh, I you know I've been a really big fan of the Twins' f- new front office regime. Everything they've done since they took over. Obviously, the team is in much, much better shape than it was during the Terry Ryan regime, especially in the later years. But I, as I mentioned before, was not a huge fan of the Aaron Sabato pick simply because there were so many college drafts or college arms still available there that were decent. And that's really what they need. I mean, that lineup is stacked and the Twins already have so many, you know, DH types. Like we said, he's got really no defensive home. He's probably a DH. I mean, if we just face it, like I already said, I mean, he looks like a 35-year-old middle manager. So uh, drinking all the Heineken's he can on the weekend. Uh, but, at, you know, at the major league level, too, they've already got Miguel Sano at first base. Obviously, we don't expect to have Nelson Cruz around for too long. Um, so that's not really a roadblock. But, you know, we'll see how gracefully Josh Donaldson ages over at third base. Right now, it's not an issue. But, I mean, in terms of their, their prospects, too, you've already got – um, Trevor Larnock, not the greatest defender in the outfield. Um, you know, Matt Walner, you've already got Brent Rooker, who's probably going to be a first baseman. You know, where is he going to go? So they've already got such a hodgepodge of these guys who are all kind of the same. Um, you could have really used some college pitching, like, I mean, guys who are going to be up in relatively short order, whether it's going to be out of the bullpen or whether it's going to be, you know, kind of those long relievers or openers or whatever, they could have really used the help there. And there are plenty of arms that I thought plenty fondly of. I thought they should have gone that direction. And they also lost a couple of draft picks for signing um, or a draft pick for signing Josh Donaldson. Um, So they only had four picks in this draft and uh, their second round pick, uh, Alaric Solary out of Tennessee, I guess I'm okay with, uh, you know, kind of tools the outfielder there. We'll see what comes of him. Um, but again, I would have rather they went pitching and they did not. Uh, they finally, in the fourth round, uh, snapped up Marco Raya, um, a prep pitcher, uh, right-hander. And that was kind of out of the norm for them. I think they're going to have to pay him over slot to get him signed. Uh, but it's not really the type of player that they target. Um, you know, since this new regime took over, they're a lot um, you know, they, they've tried to stay away from those prep righties and uh, understandably so, because that's really what led to the demise of the twins under the Terry Ryan regime is uh, drafting way too many prep righties who just I mean, there's just so much risk with that profile. Uh, and then the fifth round, they finished things out with Kalai Rosario uh, out of Hawaii, who's uh, out of uh, high school uh, bat there. So kind of intriguing i guess kind of high upside but you know still a huge question mark as the 158th overall selection there so i thought that was at least intriguing but you know we'll we'll see what he's able to do once the twins get their mitts on him uh so let's talk winners and losers here ron we'll go back to you here who in your opinion had the best draft so i'm gonna roll with a couple teams here and i'm not gonna get too much into the specific players that each team had but i just like the overall plan that they that they went with. And and it's a couple of teams that, you know, we, we only had a few rounds, a handful of rounds compared to what we've had in the past. And I like the fact that these teams realized what their minor league systems had and what their minor league systems didn't have. And they attacked it aggressively. So first team I'm going to highlight is the Marlins. You know, we talked to them about them getting Max Meyer and, you know, when we yeah. preview their system, we, we, we like their system a little bit. They've got definitely got the bats. They're there. Run. Run. Yep. 
Who who runs the Marlins these days? Uh, <laughs> Derek Jeter. He's Derek Jeter, and he's finally here. He's gonna take this team all the way this year. Derek Jeter hit that ball. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're welcome, Ben. And I didn't do that just for that reason, but it does serve dual purposes here. If only you could have seen the expression on Van's face. <laughs> I can only imagine. So <laughs> what they ended up doing was, you know, the, the Jazz Chisholms of the world, the Jesus Sanchez's of the world, J.J. Blade is there. They've got bats in that system. They recognize the, the, the fact that they need arms in that system, and they used every single pick on a pitcher, and I think that's a great way to do it. And, and uh, like I said, Max Meyer at the top there, a little bit questionable, but overall one of the top guys there, they saw something with him. Just going to be a matter of how they develop these arms. Second one I like quite a bit was the Tigers, but for the same reasons, but the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, we mentioned earlier with Spencer Torkelson, number one. Obviously, they're going to get a, a solid grade just for getting that guy in the draft as well. But I like the fact that they went with four more college bats right after that. That tells you they want to be aggressive with with hitting. They want these guys to come along a little bit more quickly. So they want to pair them with those, you know, the Casey Mises of the world and the, the pitching that they have. So I like the fact that they recognize that. And I like the fact that these two teams recognize with the handful of picks that they had, what they needed to do, what they needed to attack, and they went out and did it, and they definitely helped themselves. So I think if, if you had to highlight a couple of teams, I think the Marlins and Tigers both had A drafts, in my opinion. I really like what the Tigers did, obviously. I mean, that's a very easy thing to come out and say after that draft. Uh, however, for fantasy purposes, I don't like taking a catcher that early. So I think that dings the Tigers a little bit. Their second overall pick uh, was a catcher. So they'll slip a little bit. I We're, we're probably going to have several of the same uh, rollovers with teams here. So I decided to highlight a team that I don't think anyone would select. And I just got through saying I liked what the Angels used to do with taking, you know, the high end, high ceiling player and seeing what happens. And I think that's exactly what the St. Louis Cardinals did this year. Usually their safety. They take the guy that's probably going to be a a major league player, maybe not exciting, but someone who's, who's pretty solid. They'll do trades. They'll develop well, whatever it may be. But this year they ended up kind of uh, just swinging for the fences, essentially. Uh, Jordan Walker is a very big boy pans out could hit a ton of home runs they also had uh, mason win who's kind of a toolsy athletic raw guy with the huge potential again exactly what i said i liked what the the angels went after and then of course the the hints i forget his actual first name but he goes by tink t-i-n-k as his nickname who is their pick in the third round little bitty guy uh starting pitcher but has performed far better than people his size traditionally do as a starter and his size traditionally allows. So overall, I just really like the the draft they made. I think they, they tried to go exciting, which is something the Cardinals don't do. And maybe it'll pan out. Maybe it won't. We'll find out in a few years. But if it does, uh, I think it could be uh, a couple of exciting players for the Cardinals who they just don't have exciting prospects ever. And if they do, they die in car crashes. Like, um, Oh wow! I just blanked on his name a few years ago. Their their top Austin outfield prospect, Tavares. Tavares, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just, it, and that was the last. Uh, good friends of mine. I live in Missouri. Are Cardinals fans, and they were of course heartbroken by that because it's terrible. But also, like, of course, we finally get a prospect who's like this elite level high end guy who's a hitter. Of course, they've had a couple of pitchers over the years, and it, it something horrible happens. So we'll see. Maybe it'll pan out well. Maybe it won't. For me, I like, especially for fantasy purposes, I like what the New York Mets did 
um, with their first three picks, um, getting Pete Crow Armstrong, JT Ginn, uh, who was a former first-round pick by the Dodgers back in 2018, um, but decided to go back to school. Um, and then in the third round, got Isaiah Green at pick 69, who I really, really like. I think there's um, some C.J. Abrams quality there. He's not on C.J. Abrams' level, um, but that kind of you know above-average hit tool, um, double-plus speed, um, power. I think there's more power to be had there. Um, he swings pretty flat through the zone, um, but he hits the ball hard. He seems to add some loft there. I think he's a guy that, you know, if he if he hits the ground running and rookie ball next year, that could be a guy that really just shoots up rankings, super toolsy in the outfield. I talked about Pico Armstrong, JT Ginn's an electric righty, um, kind of back in number two, high in number three starter upside. Uh, for real-life purposes, Cleveland had a heck of a draft. Um, San Diego had, you know, potentially a really good draft if they are able to sign uh, Cole Wilcox, who fell to them uh, pick 80 due to the signability concern, um, concerns. But, you know, it's uh, Ian Smith said he heard that the number was going to be around 3.3 million. Ray Butler of Prospects 365 kind of backed that up. Um, they've already got a couple of their draft picks, their fourth and fifth round picks slined, uh, slined, signed to <laughs> under slot. Um, so they've already saved a little bit of money there. Uh, so it, could get done if, if they can get Cole Wilcox in addition to Robert Hassel, Justin Lang, uh, Owen Cussey, or Casey. I can, I'm not sure how you pronounce that last name. Um, but I think they had a really good draft as well. Um, really kind of a lot of, you know, that Padre system just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And they added to that with this draft. Yeah, you guys pretty much touched on everyone uh, that I had written down as my favorites. The Marlins were going to be my choice as well. Also noted the the Mets and the Padres, especially if they do get Wilcox signed. Uh, but also, you know, uh, Eric, you mentioned it earlier. The Indians had a really nice draft. Carson Tucker early on, Tanner Burns, Logan Allen, Petey Halpin, all really uh, highly regarded prospects there. So uh, the Indians uh, definitely killed it in my estimation. So let's go. To the flip side, Ron, who do you think uh, really blew it this year? Who had the worst draft? Uh, there's a few to choose from. The Rangers was a little bit of a head-scratcher going with Justin Foskey in the first round. And in the second round, they went with a kid out of Tennessee named Evan Carter that wasn't even uh, in most uh, draft guides. I think I read somewhere where he wasn't even in the Baseball America Top 500, so that was a little bit of a head-scratcher there. I agree with you, Nate, as far as – I wouldn't say the Twins had the worst one, but they – I think they could have definitely added some arms and kind of helped themselves out. I think the Giants had a little bit of a head-scratching draft as far as drafting another catcher. And last but not least, I got to point the point out the Cubs draft just for the fact that they drafted guys named Ed and Burl. Oh, I didn't of- realize this was 1920. <laughs> yeah, right. So if yeah, if we were playing in the in you know the 1929, they might be contenders, but I don't I don't know about old Burl Caraway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you pretty much took mine from me. I was going to say the Rangers. Uh, obviously the Red Sox, the Yankees also had kind of a rough draft. Um those were the big two that stood out to me and then looking at it a little more, I just did not like what the Rangers did at all. Foscu, I think they took him 10 to 15 picks than most people had him ranked. So they must see something that the rest of us don't. I mean, he's still a fine pick. It was their first overall pick, but uh, there were just better options on the board there. And that Carter that you mentioned, who they took with their second pick, wasn't even on ba- Baseball America, Baseball America's top 500. <laughs> so 
This was just out of left field. It's a high school guy, so maybe somebody got a better look at him than what they thought. Maybe they were trying to save as much money as possible. Who knows? But, yeah, I, th- I thought the Rangers had a real bad draft this time around, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with the Rangers. I was like, go oh, with the Rangers. Uh, yes, Evan Carter. I think um, Mason McRae's over his uh, the war room at Prospects 365, he had a, uh, a list of, I think it was 700 and something, Prospect. He, would, he, he didn't even have Evan Carter in this 700 and whatever. So that's just, oh. you know, maybe, like I said, the Rangers might have some, you know, some magical scout that saw something in, in Evan Carter. Who knows? But that'll be, that'll be interesting to follow. Um, I don't, I don't like what Cincinnati did overall. Hendrick was a nice pick, got some upside there in the first round. But outside of that, you know, I think Christian Rowe is decent. I think he'd be a, a mid rotation, mid rotation arm, uh, righty out of Texas AM. Uh, and then he went to catcher, high school catcher in the third round. You know, and then a couple other um, outfielders, or another outfielder, Mac Wainwright, and then Bryce Bonin, another Texas Tech, another Texas product out of Texas Tech, and then another righty, Joel Boyle out of Notre Dame. Not really enthralled with, you know, the picks after the first two rounds there. I think for fantasy purposes, especially San Francisco, it was that was a very boring draft class. Um, I'd say the same with Oakland, too. You mentioned going Tyler Soderstrom, catcher first. I think Jeff Criswell could be a nice back-end starter um, ready out of Michigan. Um, but outside of that, not a lot of intrigue from Oakland's draft. And then back to uh, San Francisco, Patrick Bailey um, in my top 100. He's in my top 100 first-year playoff rankings, but I think I have him like 90-something. Um, just not a lot of intrigue there. Uh, and then, then they went, you know, had some pitchers after that that, now, I, I like um, Swinney. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's Sweeney or Swinney. Um, Nick Swinney, lefty out of NC State. I, I like him a little bit. Casey Schmidt, third base from another San Diego State. He's got a little bit of pop. Um, Glowinky, Jimmy Glowinky. I love that name. Shorts about a Dallas Baptist. Um, could be a nice little back end, you know, drafty and, and for first year player drafts. But overall, that was, uh, you know, more of a real life focus. And obviously, they're focusing for real life and not for fantasy. But um, yeah, like Patrick Bailey, that was very, very. You know, that was a head scratching pick, like you mentioned with Joey Bart. Maybe they moved him to first. Maybe he's a university DH, but didn't really understand that pick. I think they really needed another arm in that system. Because most of their top bats or most their top prospects are bats. Um, they don't really have much pitching talent or depth in that system. So I thought they were going to go you know, make a bell or you know even a, you know something like that um, in that spot. Um, they, but they didn't. So yeah, I didn't really like what San Fran did either. Yeah, you guys have uh, hit on most of them. You know, if I were to crown someone, I would probably go with the the Red Sox as the worst draft. Um, the Orioles, as we touched on already, kind of overthought it. You know, it didn't quite work out for them there. Um, wasn't crazy about my Twins draft either. Um, I would like to pick on the Astros as well because they didn't have two of their picks because they're dirty cheaters. So um, that's what you get. Uh, but I, I would also like to just nitpick, I guess the Rockies draft a little bit. Like I don't blame them, I guess, for going with Zach Veen since he was still on the board there with the, the ninth pick in the first round, but still you really need pitching. And then especially to go with the defensive first catcher and drew Romo in the sandwich round there. Um, I, you still a lot of great pitchers on the board there. They did finally go with Chris McMahon, you know, in the second round and they went, uh, a couple pitchers in their next two picks after that as well. But, I mean, as a team who you can't really lure pitchers into pitching Colorado via free agency, you've got to grow these guys. And I think they should have probably focused, I mean, with such a pitching 
uh, rich draft, I think they should have probably struck um, struck with the pitching here in this draft instead of going with those bats early on. Uh, but that is going to wrap us up for this episode. If you guys have any other questions or thoughts, be sure to hit us up on the Twitter. Um, but, you know, uh, our schedule is a little bit choppy moving forward. If there's news, if there's things to talk about, we will be back at you. Um, otherwise, you know, we'll uh, just see you when we see you. So stay safe out there.